Welcome to the AV Podcast Games Edition. Hello and welcome to AV Forum's Gaming Podcast with me, Mark Bottrain. Joining me this week are Ben and Steve. Good evening, gentlemen. Hello. Right, well, we haven't been on since E3, really, so I figure that's as best a place as any to kick things off. We've had the announcement of, a, well, the, the specifications released for a couple of new consoles, so we'll kick things off with the Sony Vita. We've got a few specs now with us that are solid and concrete. 5-inch AMO LED touchscreen, which is sounds pretty pretty nifty resolution 960 by 554 you've got the usual things wi-fi and they're packing in 3g and six axis control and like and finally we've got the twin analog sticks that many people wanted all along so what did people make of this were they impressed by the by the showing of it yeah they've roped in a fair few developers supposedly 80 developers on board You've got Bioshock coming out for it, another little big planet. Was it a good enough showing, do you think, to, to whip up a bit of enthusiasm for a new handheld? And do we need one? I still think it'll need more convincing after the big massive flop of the PSP Go, to be honest. that they, need, they really, really need to learn from that mistake in respect with titles and because uh, that was just digital downloads, wasn't it, for the PSP Go? The, I think they realised the importance of actually physical copies of games as well. It looks good from what from what they've shown. It looks pretty good. I mean, they've they've claimed that it can play like the beginning of the PS3's life cycle. It can play games up to a certain standard of that. So it'll be interesting to see if like you can play sort of like your top end Call of Duties or like say Bioshocks and little big planets and deck them where you go. Yeah, I was really impressed. Um, I didn't expect to be, and. Uh, although I always thought I might end up in the line, you know, on launch night, uh, I really feel I really felt quite positive about it, which I didn't expect at all. In a way that I didn't, um, certainly with the three three um, three DS, uh, I thought that Uncharted looked great. Um, I was kind of sold just from a gadget point of view on the uh, mixture of using the the controls and the touch controls. Uh, to move around it, and yeah, I was really impressed. I thought Sony stole it, really. E3. Yeah, I mean that's. Uh, I think it's the 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 touch screen is a seems quite a simple thing to to tack on now that everything seems to be touch screen these days. But do you think it'll work with the way that you hold it? I mean, just looking at it from a logistical point of view, you know, so many things like you know you've got iPod Touch or um, tablets tend to be in portrait format or something like say the the DS you're you know you're using the stylus but you've got a good amount to kind of hold on to there the the vita is almost just one kind of single lump there do you do you think that's that's going to hold it back i.e. a bit like the the placement of the analog stick on the PSP i mean now they've got two of those do they do they need the touch screen as well i can see it added another dimension but cuz on the uncharted demo when Drake were crossing a ledge, they swiped the finger across and he followed that. I mean, other than that, I can't see it being practical or feasible getting people to touch there. I mean, you could have like interactive like mini games, you know, as un- like unlocking doors or something and following patterns with your finger, but I can't see it being a like a full on game just following touch controls other than like your PSP minis. 
because I, I won't want to play an Uncharted game just by touching screen, you know, it just become a faff, like trying to zoom in with snipers and, oh, it'd just be a nightmare. Yeah, because, I mean, the, the touch screen, if you look at where it's been really successful and even down to the kind of small bite-sized, you know, 59p games that come out on, say, on the iPhone, it's either um, small, simplistic gimmicks or something that I love, which is the the old point-and-click adventures, which, you know, they work fantastically with, with touchscreen. But if you've got something as powerful as as the Vita, I mean, the specs look really impressive. And, it, you know, as Ben said, I wasn't really expecting to be blown away. I, I thought, well, it'll be standard kind of, you know, Sony demo of a few shiny things. But, you know, it, it looks really impressive. And the question is, what can you really integrate in terms of touchscreen with those graphically intense games. I mean, when you look at some of the, the big titles, you know, Mod Nation Racers and another Super Street Fighter title there and another Wipeout title, you know, where where are they really going to integrate that? Or, or do you think they'll, they'll move down the road of PlayStation Store downloadable, small, kind of like the Apple pricing model? little 59p well, games that then you can use the touchscreen for i mean i think it'll be a, mi- a mixture but what, what i'd like to see is uh new new names being developed with the control system in mind so rather than you know I've, i i don't know i suppose i'm just trying to have a bit of faith rather than just kind of uh adapting existing franchises to kind of fit with the new controls which i'm sure they will in addition, I'd hope that there'll be some new stuff that will integrate all of these things well. I, I sound so positive about it, and I suppose when we talked about the, the Wii U, <laughs> I'm going to sound the exact uh, opposite for no good reason on the face of it. But I really, I don't know, I just thought that I th- I'm a bit of a subtler for, an, for a nice aesthetic, and I just think it looks great. I loved watching the gameplay demo. I loved watching Drake do his thing in Uncharted, and I've, I don't know, I just want to be really positive about it. I want it to be good, but in truth, yeah, I can't really answer your question because I just don't know. I, I, I think, yeah, it's fair enough to say how much would it really add to those existing franchises, franchises that have got by fine in the past without any touchscreen, front or rear. Yeah, I mean, my, my only real concern with the touchscreen, as as you said, which is integration, how much will it actually add? Simply because as soon as you see the specs list and then you see six-axis control, I mean, I don't know about anyone else, but when playing Uncharted, did anyone here really enjoy the use on the PS3 of six-axis when going across, you know, little kind of beams or something? No. I like the bit in Killzone when you had to set the bomb. I like that. Ah, now, now that, yeah, that's a, that's a good point. Actually, that's a very good, very good point. But is that the exception rather than the rule, though? Now, I'm I'm struggling to think of any really great six-axis control moments. And also, if you've got six-axis control on a console, you're holding the controller, you're moving the controller, but the screen's staying still. Mm. How's that going to work with, say, well, with a, with a portable? If you're going to be moving it around, how do you, you know, tilt it and then you're tilting your head? How are you going to look on the bus then? But people do that on the iPhone all the time, don't they? Tilt, tilt their iPhone around to play those little games. But you'd look a fool um, if you were shaking it about like a madman, wouldn't you? Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> well, I just talked about a use of the sit-sat-sis that I absolutely hated all the way through, and that was um, Heavy Rain. I thought it was uh, 
it, I I just felt um, it was stupid every time I was doing it. You know, you'd have to kind of rotle it backwards and forwards or shake it up and down or whatever you had to do. Um, I'm not a fan of the sit-sat-sis. But touchscreen, though, touchscreen can work. Where's your faith? Positivity. It's going to be brilliant. I'm not saying I'm not saying that it, it can't work. What I'm saying is, is that given um, Sony's pricing policy on downloadable content for the PSP Go, and speaking as one of many slightly disappointed PSP Go owners, you wonder whether they will take that leap to go for the the smaller bite-sized, you know, Apple pricing model of of you know small consumable games for a bus ride to use the touchscreen, or whether it will be like the six-axis integration, something that's chucked in there. You know, I don't want to be playing, say, Bioshock, which you know I'm massively excited about to be able to play something like that on a handheld and then suddenly find that you know as you say zooming or or something similar is putting for a little pinch movement with my fingers you know we finally got the two the two analog sticks that we wanted all along and the weird thing is is that ergonomically it's not that different to the PSP but i don't know if anyone else felt that looking at the presentation it actually looked a bit more comfortable to hold it looked like you know it was that that bit more you know it, it fitted into the hand a, a touch more nicely you know yeah it, it definitely looks the part now it looks a lot like more put put together and structured as opposed to the old PSP I mean the, I never had a PSP go but I didn't like the idea of the slide it if if you ask me it made it look top heavy ah see that sold it for me the slide yeah <laughs> <laughs> I love a little gadget like that. It, it's a clock. It's a games console. It's a clock. clock. The first thing he says about it, it's a clock. It's, <laughs> nice. it's a really, That's a very expensive clock. <laughs> it's a snazzy-looking clock, and it, it, it's pretty impressive, you know. I mean, we, we've talked about touch screen and everything, but what about, you know, their touch-sensitive back panel? Now, that's one, you know, if, we, if we're talking about they're throwing everything in the kitchen sink into it, that's one that I certainly didn't expect to hear about. Touch sensitive back panel. No, it's now where not. do you see that being used? Not a clue. <laughs> no. What well, no they, they they showed off uh, raising and lowering terrain, didn't they, at one point? But uh, outside of that, I really can't think. Yeah, I can't think what that would do. Very yeah. odd. Changing gears in a racing game, in a manual game, maybe. Other than that, uh, you wouldn't be able. To Wait, let me think. Would you be able to use the right bumper? Yeah, I suppose if you used your middle finger. Oh, it's all a bit much, isn't it? Like, yeah, but it it could almost replace because I mean, using the analog stick on the PSP and the the kind of uh, shoulder buttons could get a bit cramped. What if you could use just a simple like sweeping motion across the back instead of like the R triggers or something like that? A little touch and a little kind of drag of the finger for changing up and down gears or something like that. Yeah, I suppose. I thought you were the one who was supposed to be enthusiastic about this one. <laughs> no, I am, listen, I am very, very enthusiastic. What I'm saying is, I can't, yeah, all right, I can't say with certainty how all of the features will be implemented in games. What I'm saying is, the fact that they've thrown everything at it, at it doesn't necessarily mean that it'll all be quite limitly in the way that it's used in games. And what I'd hope is that games will be able to come out and really uh, use it to deliver an experience that you wouldn't have been able to get had you not had the extra analog stick and the two touch bits. 
Um, and I'm positive about that. Um, but I, yeah, I, I can't say now how all that stuff. The back, the back touch screen, touch panel is odd. But we could be sitting here in a year's time saying, look at all these fantastic titles where you touch them at the back. You know, I wouldn't have said that I'd have played any games on any sort of touchscreen. And in fact, even after the iPhone had really sort of getting, started getting some traction, I still wasn't very keen. But I find myself playing quite a few now and games that work, you know, work quite well. Either way, you're going to have to wait a little bit longer to be able to play on the Vita because is it, will it make this year? Will it make, you know, next year? Is it just the fiscal year that they're aiming for? Either way, you're going to be waiting a little while longer before you'll get your hands on one, I'm afraid, Ben. Mm. You'll be eating your words, you two. No, because we're moving on to the, the next <laughs> big console of E3, the Wii U. Come Wii. on, now this is one that you're excited about, isn't it? No. Oh, I'm, I'm losing sleep already. <laughs> I'm becoming less and less convinced the more I see about it, to be honest. I, I, can, kind of, I can kind of see a little bit of cynicism creeping into Steve, although it's usually always there. Um, but the... Okay, it doesn't have the VMU that I wanted. <laughs> now, uh, that no console is ever again. No. <laughs> that would have sold me straight away. I'd be in the in the queue at midnight for that. And if it had a clock. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't knock a good clock, mate. <laughs> but come on. We're talking about touch screens and, and that kind of thing decent screens we've just talked about five inch one on the vitas you're going to get 6.2 inch on the controller for the wii u you've got a microphone in there you've got the gyroscope you've got you know the usual analog controls and but twin analog controls now you know you can use the stylus the camera it's like a mini tablet but do you really want to play a game with a controller that big now that's that's a very good point. I mean, it's I suppose it's one of those things where you've got to see exactly how light they make it and just how comfortable it is to use because it, it does look a, a little on the unwieldy side. I'll give you that. The um, the placement of the buttons is unusual as well with the with the analog sticks being above the D pad and the four buttons there. Yeah, I can't that, that... quite imagine how I how I'd get my hands around it. No, that does seem seem a little bit weird. It would be a little bit like um, if you were playing a game but holding the controller above the screen whilst you're playing it. it. It just seems a little on the odd side. But, you know, that that could just be down to, as I say, something like weight. I mean, if it was down right at the bottom, if you found that it's a, a hefty, chunky piece of equipment, you don't want kind of your hands slowly getting weighed down by this slab of technology, do you? No, I don't think my hand, my hands will weighed down by this slab of technology very often at all to be honest <laughs> oh harsh <laughs> um sort of nintendo um that they 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 seem to aim their e3 pitch uh quite strongly at a more adult market didn't they and they were showing off some of those big titles and um i don't need what do i need a wii u for that for um i've got an xbox i've got a ps3 and I'm happy I don't need to play Battlefield 3 or whatever else they have on a Wii U. You don't know how they're going to integrate the controller, though. It could be, you know, like the Wii, it could be just the Wii U version of each game, if it's a multi-platform game, could be the only one that's truly unique. 
you know, they they showed all these things where it's almost like augmented reality where you can kind of look around, you can be playing it on your TV and also looking into the screen at the same time and seeing different things. I've I've read somewhere that like um say if you're playing Call of Duty online and you get like a kill streak and you're calling an airstrike, there's been developers saying that without having a, a set menu you could have like already like a sort of an in game computer where you can just like press airstrike and you can like flick it across the screen, which does sound a little bit cool, but I'm not gonna buy one just so I can call in different things on the controller when I could happily just do it through a menu system or just a physical button. Yeah, yeah. fair fair point, but I mean by the same token, people said the same thing about um, a lot of motion control, and and we've just been saying this pretty much the same thing about touchscreen. You know, we could it's innovation of of some kind, but I, I suppose the the great problem Nintendo that I can see might have is their presentation showed so much of what it could do, but if you tried sticking that in a, a you know. 20, 30 second advert, what would you actually say the main selling point of the Wii U was? Is it now that it it's, you know, HD? Is it because it's got this, the actual screen in the controller? Is it because, you know, what is the main selling point now? I mean, they showed off kind of, it looked quite cool, a little golf game and, and that kind of thing, and you place the controller down on the floor. But again, it, it's coming back to this idea, the same as with the Wii, that many people have felt has held it back, which is you need a bit of space to play it. And if they're going to tie it into the same general market as the Wii, even if, as you were saying, Ben, it looked like they were going for a more adult audience, is their default position always going to kind of drag them back to that um, unique, kitsch kind of niche title for family fun? It seems to me that's where the market is for them, though, because why... I don't. What I can't see is why someone would go from owning an Xbox or a PS3 to move over to the Wii U um, to play the same sorts of games that they would play on the Xbox or the PS3. I don't see why anyone would make that investment. Um, and if they focus more on the adult market, then they're going to. I mean, their money comes from young people and older people, doesn't it? Um, well, that's certainly what what they aim a lot of their other stuff at, and have done for years. And I'm just and not the convinced. And the 29 year old sat right here. Thank you very much. <laughs> Listen, well, yeah, all right. So, yeah, and no, and there, there are. I'm not disputing the fact there are a lot of people that bought the Wii. Um, but you presumably a part of the reason for buying the Wii was because not only was the controls something different, but the games were different to what you would get elsewhere. So you'll still get your Zeldas and your Mario's and all of that. Um, and that's still a reason, I suppose, to buy the console. But where it overlaps with other consoles, I can't see why so late in the cycle, because presumably we're getting late in the cycle of um, the Xbox and the PS3, why someone would invest in a Wii U when potentially in the next year or two you're going to see the next Xbox or the next PS3. Yeah, Unless you've got the games. Yeah, I mean, that that's the, the kind of great criticism but also the great strength is that people have been seeing the the Wii as almost like a supplemental system. It's it's the also system. You you know people say they've got an Xbox 360 and a Wii. They've got a PS3 and a Wii. You know if they're buying a secondary console to to kind of cater for the kids or or you know even grandma or something, the Wii's that kind of it taps into that market and that's why it's 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 sold so well. But the only thing I, I could possibly think why it's coming at this point in the, the console life cycle is simply because when the Wii was released, 
did you have as many HD TVs out there? And so, you know, maybe with the price of panels falling and, and you know, 42-inch TVs becoming more of the norm, you know, suddenly the the just getting the analog input off a Wii or something or, or VGA input doesn't look as great as it could do. So, you know, they're, when they're switching up to an HD console, you may as well, you know, throw all the gadgets in it, the same as, as Sony are doing with the Vita. I guess they're trying to kind of curb away from, like, Microsoft and Sony's launches, I'm guessing they want to try and get ahead of the of the race, if you know what I mean. So they'll want the the people who are going to buy the next console, they'll buy the Wii U first because they'll be the first to release it and they might have the next innovation, you know, for developers. So I kind of guess they're trying to get a foot in the door of what's coming after this current cycle, like Ben said. Yep, well, I'll, I'll, I'll put my name down for it. I'm I'm still excited, so... I don't care what anyone says. <laughs> it may not be a VMU, but it's good enough for me. But, you know, they they have been at pains to say that, um, you know, it's not going to be a portable game machine, you know, the the controller. So Clearly. <laughs> yeah. So, you know. Put that in your pocket. <laughs> well, it, it, it could have been, you know, stick it in your backpack or something, you know, more kind of iPad sized. So it's that's vaguely portable, isn't it? I mean, it's portable in so much as you can take. You can move it, (laughs) but then again, I suppose you could stick a TV on a trolley with a generator, and it would be portable. So, yeah, quite right. Listen, um, when when these two are out, right, you don't let your Wii U. I'll have my Vita, and then after a few months, we'll see who's happier, and it'll definitely be me. Oh, that 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 sounds like a challenge. It does. It is. The likelihood of me being able to not buy a Vita as well will be quite <laughs> quite, <laughs> quite hard right well that, those are the consoles then what about the games lineup of e3 i mean there was the big kind of um releases that you we've we've touched on for the vita you know you've got your uncharted again and then there's going to be another uncharted for the ps3 it's i, I don't know whether anyone else felt the same way but it, it seemed like it was a fantastic lineup of games, but it's a fantastic lineup of sequels. You know, it's they're all ones to get excited about. I mean, I you know, I'm I'm dying to play Battlefield Three and, and Mass Effect Three and the like and Elder Scrolls Five. You know, I'll I'll literally explode with excitement when I take the cellophane <laughs> off that one. But I mean, they are pretty much all sequels. I mean, was was there anything there really unique that we saw? That that you know piqued your interest guys i think there were a lot of stuff that we already knew were coming as well i don't think there were much that had been not been announced or leaked already i mean there's the one halo 4 but like you say that's that's another sequel in its own right so there's not there's no new ips really out there because i mean there's there's not really much scope for them at the moment i don't think i think way forward to sequels but we just got to ask what comes after that aren't you it's sad, really, because all the a lot of the new stuff, the innovative stuff that we see now, aren't coming, uh, isn't coming from the major developers. And I think, you know, I, I don't know. I'd guess maybe something to do with economic situations or whatever. They're, they're sticking with what's safe, and um, I think it's a bit of a shame. But that said, um, 
something that hasn't been talked about that much after E3 is uh, Hitman Absolution, which I want to put in a good word for, because I will literally explode with excitement when that comes out, because those are some of the finest claims ever made, and uh, that's all I wanted to hear from E3, really, and I heard it, so I was happy. But I suppose that that's the point. I mean, we've all got our favourite game series, so, you know, we, we're all happily complaining when it's it's sequel after sequel of games that we don't particularly enjoy or something you know i'm not gonna i probably won't play forza motorsport 4 you know i I found um demon souls too hard so dark souls (laughs) i think will be (laughs) far too hard given that the developer has since come out and said that they had to crank up the difficulty for this one otherwise people will be disappointed but when you see the sequel to to a game that you absolutely love you know that's enough, isn't it? I mean, Elder Scrolls Five for me is is going to be just absolutely huge. And as you say, Ben, Hitman for you. You know, everyone's got their favorite favorite series that that they were just dying to see at this year's E3. Oh, there was um uh, the zombie Dead Dead Island. Oh yeah, um, yeah. We, we knew about that beforehand a bit, but that was really shown off, wasn't it, at E3? And uh, you know what you've forgotten, Mark. The yeah. major title of the event, uh, Disneyland Adventures. Uh, I don't know about you, but I can't wait to wander around Disneyland and uh, meet and greet Mickey Mouse on Tanet. Uh, I'll, I'll be honest, unless they've put in some kind of a, a violent feature in there, I can't see myself playing that. <laughs> that would be my, brilliant, though. <laughs> it would fulfil my lifelong dream of beating up a mascot. But beyond that... I mean, the you've got the huge titles there. I mean, Uncharted Three, for many, pretty much kind of stole the show. You know, Uncharted you've got also on the on the Vita. So it's just the announcements themselves. And since we've got some of the the news about the multiplayer, they're going to be sticking into Uncharted Three. I mean, the 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 single player alone made the first two pretty much games of the year. Mm. You know they're they're adding content continually with that series. You can't say a bad word about it. No, I agree. Well, I could. I could say the and six if you axis do, support. I won't be happy. I say the six axis support. That that was fairly ropey, but not terrible. No, no, no. <laughs> Fair enough. I can tell you're bristling at this one, so I'll move on. I mean, they're they're moving into what have they got? Um, split screen and co-op. I mean, that's going to be a you don't hear much these days anyone really touting split screen, but it's it's almost like the forgotten mode now. A lot of people still want it, but like like you say, not many developers choose to do it, and there's a lot of complaints about it. Cause if people can't get on live, it's the only experience they'll have a multiplayer, isn't it? So it's, it's still a popular format because I'd play it if someone came around. You know, I mean, despite having half a screen to look at, but you can get over it. It's, it's still a good feature at the end of the day. And if oh, the yeah. main person that you play games with lives in your house... Uh, you definitely want something like split screen. Oh, yeah. Exactly. You don't want to, have to tell them to buy a separate PS3 and go into another room so you <laughs> <No>. can chat. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, it'll be interesting to see because they've, I mean, Naughty Dog have shown that they've got great talents for things like level design and some of the kind of uh, cover combat system. It's just, it's so smooth and so polished. It'll be interesting to see um, how the levels change for things like the team deathmatch and the like 
because there's talk of there being, you know, three team deathmatch with small two player teams and just just how they'll move those skills they've learned in the single player game design through to the multiplayer. I mean, I do think it's interesting, but from my point of view, I'm still more excited about playing the single player than I am the multiplayer. Because uh, I really think, I think everything you said is true. And, you know, I'll obviously play it when I get it. But at the moment, I'm, I'm, I was blown away by that play, uh, the playthrough demo, you know, with the fire, that one uh, yeah. that they showed off. I just thought that was, fa- it looked phenomenal. And uh, that's really what I want to get my hands on. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm completely with you there as, you know, they can put in so much content. But I, I suppose a little bit like um, when they talk about there being multiplayer for Bioshock you know when you've got a great single player experience that's kind of what what brings you back you know that you know they're going to put out a fantastic Indiana Jones-esque game there yeah with lots of treasure hunting and and really you know the the drawback there was to to kind of find all the treasures and the like you know that it 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 already had great longevity so you know I'm dying to see what they do with this one no I mean they're 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 chucking in all the content. You've got free for all. You've got buddy mode and the things like customizable equipment. You know, it's all great stuff. But I'm sure most people stuck in the queue, waiting for that one, will be wanting to play single player experience. But onto the games that we've actually been playing this month, rather than the ones that we'll be looking at over the next twelve months, hopefully. Um, ben, you've been enjoying. Uh, little niche title frozen synapse yeah i've been very much enjoying it i think it's excellent so um it was released towards the end of may uh it's developed by uh, a company called mode 7 who are a uk based company it's their second title i believe and it's um it's a tactical simultaneous um turn-based game that um takes a kind of top-down view uh, in a small map that you there are two teams uh, on of about three or four players each usually characters each and it's all about setting waypoints and uh, aim lines and that kind of thing uh, you take your turn you hit the big prime button which kind of means that you commit your turn and then you can effectively go away until the other person does their turn because the turns are played out uh, simultaneously so uh, once the other player's done their turn you can go back to the game uh, have a look at what's happened, watch the outcome of it, and uh, the 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 little your little troops will respond dynamically. So if you've set a waypoint where your guy wanders past one of the other team's guys, they'll turn and look at each other and shoot and that kind of thing. But it's really uh, interesting from the point of view of a turn-based thing because normally you would be uh, planning very much how you're going to attack, but with this. Uh, a lot of the focus of what you're doing is trying to anticipate how the other player is going to come at you. So you're going to set your guys to kind of cut them off at the pass and that kind of thing. The aesthetic is stunning. It's kind of Tron-like. It's all very much kind of electric blues and that kind of thing. And it's a really uh, beautiful mixture of the old and the new. You know, uh, there's something very much in there that feels like uh, chess or something like that. Uh, and but the, it's all kind of bathed in neon and feels very modern, very very slick, and I heartily recommend it. Uh, it's available on Steam, and I think um, certainly at the time when I bought it, but I think now you can buy two licenses for the 
price of one or they you, you buy the claim and they give you a second license and it's absolutely fantastic i don't suppose either of you you haven't tried it have you I'm, I'm not a big pc gamer to be honest with you neither am i i'll tell you a story my mac uh, died at the same time as my iphone <sighs> so i've now got an android and a pc uh and i bought the pc at the on the first day of the steam sale and I have gone absolutely crazy and bought loads of stuff I'm probably never going to play. But uh, <laughs> but Frozen Synapse is genuinely well worth a look. And there's a review on the site as well uh, for the listeners uh, that they can read. It, it just flows really well. And I love the fact that you can have multiple games on the go at any time. I mean, if you play something like uh, Words with Friends, you know, on the iPhone or those kind of Scrabble games where you can have quite a number of games on the go uh, when it's your turn to go, then you come back to it and have a look. This is very, very similar. Um, and it works perfectly for that kind of dip in, dip out gameplay. Uh, but also, similarly, you can find yourself sitting there for hours, hours and hours. It's um, it's phenomenal. It's one yeah. of the best games I've played all year. I thought you said once you go Mac, you don't go back. I've never used those words. L- look, you know what I think. <laughs> yeah, all you know, all of this kind of you know, I'm I'm a Mac, I'm a PC, I'm Sony, I'm Microsoft. I just like I like the technology, and I've been impressed by Windows Seven. Um, I've been impressed enough anyway, and I've, I've got Steam, and I can play games, so I'm happy. <laughs> yeah, I bought, That's the I most. Bought, I bought GTA 4 for no reason today other than it was £6 on Steam. And I've played it through from start to finish twice on Xbox. But, I, you know, you get kind of compulsive, don't you? Well, well you I, do. I do. Yeah. <laughs> Normal um, people do. But the, the nice thing about Frozen Synapse that I just want to make a point of is uh, even on single player, although the single player uh, is quite well structured uh, in terms of there's a progression through the game, the levels are at least partially randomized all of the time. And it keeps it feeling really fresh. So um, unlike you know, when you play your Call of Duties, you learn the map. Uh, it's not possible at all with something like this. And there's a number of games that do this kind of thing uh, across genres that I think is really quite exciting. If anything from uh, Minecraft, you know, where every, I don't know if either of you play Minecraft, but uh, I love it. Uh, anything from Minecraft right through to the really small little indie games and titles like this. Um, I think it's a really interesting way of keeping the game fresh and keeping you wanting to go back. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it's one that you've been raving about for a while, and I've been wanting to play it because I was a, a big fan of Darwinia, and I think that's, you know, that's the one area where. Certainly, PC gaming has has yet to be trumped by its by its console brethren, mm-hmm. in that people continually talk about uh, mature console gaming and and that kind of thing. But usually, they mean mature in in simply in subject matter rather than yeah. the general content or the you know the the strategy put into the actual game. You know, you still get the best strategy games that tend to have striking aesthetics but not necessarily the greatest graphics you still get those games on the pc and at kind of knockdown prices and i think until consoles really embrace that market and and I, I suppose in a way having to buy dev kits and the like maybe they never will will be able to entice all the smaller developers the kind of bedroom lot but until until they get that in in terms of downloadable service at a decent price then PC is still the place to go for that kind of game. Well, that's what I'm learning. Yeah, I mean, because I've been out of the PC game market for so long, um, 
it really is. It's genuinely quite exciting to go back and trying to make these sorts of discoveries. And this isn't even a particularly, you know, uh, obscure title. This is something that's available on Steam. And, you know, if you're on Twitter and you follow some gamers, this is a title that, you know, people have been talking about it. There's been a bit of buzz. But I really do think it captures that that bedroom developer feel, even though it's clear. I think um, Mode 7 are two or three guys but one of whom just does music, um, and then they they hire some other people. I think that's what I read about them. So it really does have. It's very tight. It's very controlled, um, and it it works perfectly. There were a few server issues early on, but everything seems to be fine now. Right. Well, that's a glowing recommendation. So from one great and mature title <laughs> to to another that Steve's been enjoying, Duke Nukem Forever. Steve, I think, think enjoying is the wrong the wrong term there. I understand it's it's not one that necessarily you'll be going back to. I did go back to it today, and I had about as much fun as poking my eye with a needle again. It's what I mean the 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 mechanics surely I mean of FPSs haven't changed that much, and they you know the Duke Nukem titles sold a lot back in the heyday. So so what is it that's that's changed then with this latest title that didn't seem to to click for you? Like you said, there's nothing wrong as such with the shooting and the actual platforming of the game. I mean, there are parts of that which are quite enjoyable, but you can tell that this has just been in development for so long that they've just had, they've had so many problems that they've just not been able to fix everything with it. I mean, the graphics are probably not even this year. They're probably like on PS2 and Xbox par at times. The frame rate is so slow. There's And the humour, they're just don't seem to understand that the gaming market has moved on and people who played Duke Nukem 12 years ago are now 12 years older than they were back then that they just won't enjoy this sort of humour anymore. I mean, there are moments where he will say something and he will have you in fits of laughter, but nine times out of ten, there's just you just want to just shut the hell up. I mean, it's just... I don't know. There's just something there. It's just... Some people, like, some people will really enjoy it. I mean, you'd probably have to be 12 to enjoy all of it, but there will be someone out there who will just think it's as good as it ever has been. See, you- see it, it, was, it was one of those games that you, you looked at the advert, I don't know whether everyone else felt the same way, and you just thought they're marketing this to, to people who've moved on. You know, the, the whole of the ads on TV were based around we've got half-naked polygon women you know, and and a few catchphrases thrown in, and you just think that you know that's not really you know what is it? is it supposed to be half kind of titillation or something? It looks poor, you know. It it looks like you know something from like a, a low grade sci fi animation or something, with with a couple of lumps stuck on, you know that they don't seem to to really have found where the gaming market has actually moved to. I mean, we, in the intervening years, we've had, you know, better attempts at humour through things like the GTA series. I mean, that's kind of yeah. probably the the benchmark for, for marrying up decent storyline, decent action, decent gameplay, but also sticking in those little moments of humour. Portal. Yes. Yeah, but... Yeah, no, I... Was, Sorry, that's, about I, no, that. that's just like the kind of... It. That's just the kind of Tourette's that I've got. If I don't mention <laughs> Portal for long, too long, I, I just bark it out. Yeah, but Portal's highbrow humour. You know, that's that's almost that's almost witticisms. 
I mean, if we're talking about just like simplistic kind of slightly base humour, GTA with kind of strippers and, and, you know, kind of cartoon violence really took things on to Duke Nukem. Yeah. From Duke Nukem. So the big question was where did they really have to go other than, you know, kind of dial it up to 11 and hope that your market, who've been waiting for this game to come out for a decade now, are still there. You know, well, I, d- and I don't know how Steve feels, having played it all the way through. I only played the demo. But I t- even in the demo, I kind of felt like this is a game that just should never have been made. Like they should have just realised somewhere along the line that this this was the way it was going to end up. I mean, what what do you think? Do you think they were just over overestimating the nostalgia factor? Yeah, I think they just got to a point where they just released it and it won't really finish. I think they just realised that people are going to end up, if they give it another year or two, people nobody will buy it full stop. So I think they just thought, right, we have to release it now. And they didn't care whether it was finished or it was the best game in the world. They've just set a date, stuck to it this time. How many times have they done that before? And just said, right, have it. Here you go. I hope that everyone still finds tits and sex in your does funny every five minutes. Although well. we were just saying, weren't we, Steve, <laughs> before we came on, that it had one of the, the best opportunities in the demo from any demo ever, where right at the beginning when you uh, when you walk up to that whiteboard and you can actually write on it so you can rub everything off and write things like, uh, this game is rubbish and stuff. Uh, and because I downloaded the demo on the PC, I could actually take screenshots of that, which amused me far more than the demo did. That's <laughs> one of the very best highlights of the game, drawing on a virtual whiteboard. And th- that, yeah. that, that that tells you all you need to know. The opening, you draw you draw a penis on the whiteboard, you laugh, and that's the that's the highest point of the game. <laughs> and that cost millions. And that costs you you pay forty pound for the privilege of a penis on a whiteboard. Yeah. Well, I suppose you can get can you can of spray go to paint a school and do that. that. <laughs> but I mean, I, I suppose you know the the. The production, you know, it's gone on so long that, you know, there comes a point where you're chasing, you know, throwing good money after bad. You've invested too much to actually let it fail. And I suppose, you know, if they were going to get sales, usually, you know, we're middle of July, you know, summer gaming drought. I suppose they, you know, it's a reasonable assumption that they might make a few few pennies at that time. Hmm. Well, yeah, like you say, because if they released it, at Christmas, that no one had played because playing your Call of Duty in your battlefield, so they've released it at a good time, definitely. But, but by by that token, I mean we've we've one game that we we didn't cover uh, last month because we were unable to get our podcast up and running due to marriages, illness, and um, postal services. Um, <laughs> was La Noir? I mean, this is a massive title. It's come at a time when you might be thinking that, you know, you're moving into the, the dry summer months when you won't be seeing anything of, you know, triple-A standard. And this is one I think we have we all enjoyed? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's one of the, well, it, as much as I hate, don't like saying it, it will be a Game of the Year contender inevitably because it's a rock star title. That alone will have sold it for loads of people. I mean, you can't go playing it expecting it to be a Grand Theft Auto or a Red Dead Redemption because it's just not. It's, it's as good story-wise and narrative-wise as a Grand Theft Auto or Red Dead Redemption because there's enough there just story-wise to keep it going forever and ever until the end, which I won't go towards. Um, but it's it won't like world-beating or brilliant in respect to like gameplay. I mean, there were a couple of moments where it did 
you know, kind of stop you from doing what you wanted to do. And the missions could have, like, were a bit repetitive. I mean, you did go to a crime scene, find all the clues, go and interrogate, then maybe there'd be a car chase, but then you'd go investigate, interrogate. So, I mean, but I never found that a chore or boring. I think because I've not seen, like, a crime game of its ilk before, that it's... It, doesn't actually grate on you. I mean, there is exploration as well, which is good, which you expect from Rockstar. So, it's it's a quality game, definitely. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you mentioned you know the slightly repetitive nature, but it, you know, I think a certain amount of that is we've we've come to kind of overanalyze games. If you look at where it's building from, you know, almost uh, the occasional detective games with point and click um, features, they're all built on a certain amount of repetition and just you know deducing and and searching and and just trying to find the right the right way to to go about a particular situation you know so it's it's some of some of the criticism aimed at it by people who who try and strip away i think you were saying ben about the the motion capture and and things like that yeah if, if, you know when you strip things like that away you know it's a story driven title you know, there aren't that many that are there are or there are lots of story driven titles, but not that many that focus solely on trying to use that story as a catalyst for all the gameplay. And I think that's a crucial point, because when I wrote the review, it was interesting. Um, someone commented back on the review saying that uh, everything that's there has been done before and done better elsewhere. Um which is which I fund which although it might be true I kind of fundamentally disagree with that as a way of assessing the quality of anything at all. Um, I think that in all sorts of uh, spheres of art, um, you take bits that work from other places, and uh, and then you know make something new and original out of those elements. I think if you look at the um, if you look at the mechanics of the game, yeah, you know, obviously you can say most of those things have been done before. Although I do think that the inter- the way that the interviews were done was something fairly fresh feeling. But I think that the really important point is the one that you make. They built a game around the story, and I think that should be praised, and people should play it for that, even if the story itself could be open to some criticism. I still think it was a good story. Um, I'm just, you know, without wanting to go into anything that happens, I think there are times, particularly later on, where the pacing is a bit off. Um, which is a very, I, I can't, I don't want to say more, but it's, um, yeah, and I think there are some characters that are introduced too late, um, and some ideas that are put into the game slightly too late as well. No, I, I think that's a certainly a valid criticism, but I, I also think that's the kind of thing that, that, game developers moving in this direction will learn from because you you see that with virtually all you know you saw it with heavy rain you saw it before with quantic dreams fahrenheit Mm -hmm. which is when they try to create a good gameplay experience and a good story that's that basically builds a backbone around which everything hangs off there's usually some kind of pacing issues i they're they're I can't think of a game that's in the similar mold that's hit both of its targets in in that respect. But for trying Portal something, two. <laughs> there it goes again. <laughs> Sorry, did I say that out loud? No, no, no. That that in fact, no. In fact, I'll I'll give you that one. I think that's that's very no very apt. But other than Portal two, 
Although some people said it was too short. So, you know, again, yeah. pacing issues, you know, um, it, it's hard to get perfectly right, you know, and it would be hard to get right if you were, you know, if it was a film or the like, but they're hiring professional writers now and they're moving in the games industry in a, you know, into a more um, accomplished professional direction, which yeah, I, think I think has to be applauded, you know, wholeheartedly. Yeah. And, and that was really what I was trying to let across in the review, that um, while there are a whole load of criticisms that you can level at this game that would be legitimate, the, this it's, things like this need to be supported and bought to encourage the way that this uh, these sorts of titles should evolve. Um, whether it's this, whether it's Red Dead Redemption, uh, Portal Two, uh, and or any of those kind of again. claims. That I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. <laughs> but you know, let, titles where they've invested money in writing a decent script, in getting decent voice actors in, and really trying to make the story work. I think. Um, for me, I would go out and buy them even if they don't quite tittle all the boxes, like I bought Fahrenheit. A game shouldn't, to me, if there's no story behind the game, the game shouldn't be produced. The story shouldn't come second fiddle to the gameplay. It should be as important as that, or the most important thing. I was just going to say, one thing that's quite interesting is, you know, obviously Rockstar are one of the major developers that try and try and do this. And on the subject of pacing, I was, I've just been wondering about whether it's possible to have perfect pacing in an open world sandbox game because you just can't you know someone can just wander off and do 10 side quests in a row um or even just walk around on their horse and in between two missions where quite serious stuff is happening you know and it's all kind of emotional turmoil and then you kind of lose the the shape of the narrative don't you if you just wander off and do whatever you want and i'm wondering whether it's even possible yeah i mean that that was kind of where i was generally trying to get at which was you know how how do you get perfect pacing in a medium where you don't have uh your viewer almost um at your beck and call to to watch something specifically from point a to point b you know it, it, even in a game like like portal even in a game like um i, mean, I was talking to you about a Blade Runner before Ben. Yeah, yeah. About saying that was you know one of my favourite kind of narrative driven games, because you you know how do you get the pacing right when you don't know how long someone's going to spend on a particular section? I mean there were there were moments in in say something like Heavy Rain, where I was happy just you know poking about someone's house you know looking in every drawer just you know being completely nosy, but then there are moments where you know you can blast through a particular chapter in in you know a matter of half an hour or something you know you, you never know exactly how two people are going to play the same game you know they they're not going to play it in the same manner so therefore to a certain extent you're never going to get that great you know cinematic style pacing where it's spot on and the only way that people do that is through extensive use of cutscenes which i think is something to be avoided um i think that the best stories are told th- the best video game stories are told through the interaction uh, and some of the fu- some of the best moments uh, the most uh, the moments that really stick with you happen uh, while you're playing um, even something you know I, I'm I'm quick sometimes to criticize Call of Duty but was it Modern Warfare 1 or 2 with the with the bomb uh, with well, the nuke Air 1 that one 1 uh, and that's fantastic isn't it because you expect you're going to be running around and shooting uh, you know, when when it comes down, you're not. You're you're basically dead. Um, 
and so I think that's where the focus should be. I think to answer what you were saying, Martin, I think L.A. Noir, what it got right in what it was trying to do was the kind of relentlessness of the story, regardless of what you did, everything carries on. So it can't control how long you spend wandering around a crime scene, but it tried in the terms of the story that was contained, wasn't it? So they'll say to you, oh, you know, you've got to go and interview that guy over there who was a witness, but have a look around the crime scene first. So it almost felt that in terms of the, the way the, the story progressed, you were free to just wander around, and if that took a while, that's fine. Then you'd go and chat to the person you're supposed to chat to. Um, but regard, no matter what happened, with any, no matter what you did, the story would carry on unless you died during an action sequence. Yeah, I mean that again. That that's very similar to kind of Quantic Dreams' uh, way of doing things with Heavy Rain, mm. which is they put so many characters in that you could do without certain ones. The the story will reach its conclusion, and there are certain moments where you just simply can't avoid being drawn into the story and having to act out particular sequences. And so it's you know it, it's great to see a game like. L.A. Noir get the plaudits that it deserves, but for a certain audience, it's it's never going to offer that kind of bang for your buck appeal because it's it's a different kind of title than what you'd expect when you hear the phrase you know triple A. You, you know you expect large production values, not necessarily put into you know a person's cheeks or how their eyebrows kind of ruffle or something you know something as small as mocap technology. I think it's the fact that people are just going by the Rockstar name and it's been in the same brand. I think they just need to recognise that it's, a, like, say, a different genre and a different style of game altogether to be appreciated in a different light as to, like, Grand Theft Auto or Dead Redemption because each game needs to be appreciated differently instead of saying it's from these people, it should be like that, and if it's not like that, then it's not good. Oh, yeah. And I think just on a, on a to finish off that point, I, I do think... There's there's something to be said for correctly advertising a game because I mean a lot of the ads for La Noir seem to focus around uh, shots of driving and and machine gun fire or something and you know everything looked very tense and very fast action oriented when it, you know that that was almost completely the opposite to what the central part of the game was about. Well, that, that's what an advert's meant to do though, isn't it? And the 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 bound to advertise the the action bits and say there are some boring bits but we won't go into that exactly i bought it so it worked <laughs> well yeah i bought it as well i don't think there is many people out there who didn't is there right so that was la noir for you still out now and well worth picking up and that's our time done for this month all that remains for me to do is to thank Steve and ben thank you gentlemen cheers okay. thank you and to say we will see you again next month this is mark botright Thanks for listening. The AV Podcast was mixed and produced by Phil Hinton and the senior producer was Stuart Wright. All content, including sound clips and music, is copyright material and featured for promotional use only. The AV Podcast is copyright M2M Limited.